Well, I'm going to begin by asking a question, and that is, um, maybe you've had people ask you this question before. I actually ask this question to people when they're, they're talking to me, and I feel like they're kind of taking a, a, the, long, the long view of the question they want to ask. I say, hey, can you tell me what your end game is? What's your end game? And I've had people ask me that because I can, you know, beat around the bush too. What's your end game? Can you just kind of let me know your bottom line, your end game? I, I hear that term a lot. I use that term a fair amount. And I actually looked it up in dictionary.com. The original, uh, the, the, that term originated, I should say, with chess. So your end game is your final couple of moves so that you can win the game. What's your end game? Now, some of you have been part of uh, our time together in the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 7 to 12 this morning, if you want to turn there. And you have walked and journeyed with us through this amazing book. And as has been shared by Kondo and me and others, uh, James is direct. James is to the point. James is in your face. He really is. And... uh, uh, you don't have to guess what he's thinking, that's for sure, in his book. And I, I love his book because it's so practical, and it all boils down to be doers, right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. But one thing that I've wondered, and I think we get a glimpse of that, that'll be in our passage this morning, is, James, what's your end game? What's your end game? Not just in this book, but more importantly, in your life? That would be a question that I would ask James. What is it that at the very core of your being motivates you to be all in with Jesus? What is it? And I think in the passage we're going to look at together this morning, we see it. I'll just share it with you. To be found faithful when Jesus returns. That's his end game. It really is. This idea of the second coming of Christ is kind of sprinkled through the book of James. In fact, if you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, the epistles, the letters of Paul in the New Testament, you'll see that was his end game too. To be found faithful when Jesus returns. Key word, faithful. And so in our verses this morning, verses 7 to 12, What I want us to see together, and these verses will be up on the screen as well, what I want us to see together this morning as we look at this passage and we see what I'm calling James's endgame is how can you and I also be found faithful when Jesus returns, okay? So if you ever bought your Bible, why don't you turn there with me? We're going to pick up in James 5 and verse 7. Here's what James writes. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. See that word patient, patient, patiently, patient, three times in these two verses. And what we're going to see together, this is again kind of, 
kind of an overarching thought of James's end game, I'm calling it, being faithful when Jesus returns, is he's going to talk a lot about living life with patience and living life with persistence or perseverance. Patience and perseverance. So we're going to hear that theme over and over in these verses. Now, did you notice that James mentions the Lord's coming twice? Verse 7, until the Lord's coming. Last part of verse 8, because the Lord's coming is near. Did you notice that James doesn't say, here's my end game, to follow my dream? Have you ever heard people say that? Oh, my life is about following my dream, you know? Or this one, pursuing my passion. That's my end game. Well, those aren't really biblical. In fact, did you notice that James doesn't use the word me or my in these verses at all? He doesn't. He's really fixated on being faithful and ready when Jesus comes back. Now, one thing you and I may not think about often, I can be very guilty of this, is I go long periods of time without saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know, when I was a young Christian many, many years ago and, you know, was in churches, especially in the 70s, I know that is a really long time ago, but in the 70s, there were all these prophecy conferences and and they, they taught on the second coming of Christ all the time. And maybe there was a little, it was a little obsessive at some point, but there was something about thinking that Jesus could come back today, thinking I could be caught up, raptured, and see Jesus today. There's something about that teaching that seemed to be very compelling to the first century church. Absolutely in the life of the Apostle Paul, and we see here as well in the life of James. He talks about the Lord's coming And there's something about that, seeing Jesus, even giving account of my life, being found faithful in how I have been living my life was a huge deal to him, to Paul, to the other disciples, to the first century church. And maybe that's something you and I need to be much, much more aware of and thinking about. Am I living my life today that I would be excited if Jesus returned? That's a great way to live life, my friends, it is. Have you noticed, um, as we look at these two verses, that he uses the illustration of a farmer? And as I've, I kind of thought about this, this illustration, it talks about, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And here's something that That really struck me as I thought about this illustration of the farmer. Not only does a farmer, you know, till the soil, plant the seed, water, do all of those things that you do, the farmer waits and waits. Is waiting hard for you? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm terrible at waiting. I am. But maybe more important to me and more convicting and challenging about the illustration of the farmer to me is not just that the farmer has to wait, but the farmer has to relinquish control. And that's my first thought about how we can fulfill our end game about being faithful and ready for Jesus to come back. 
relinquish control. That's a tough one. You know, Kondo asked a couple weeks ago, how many of us are planners? Yes. How many of us um, want to map out everything in our lives and make it happen? Yes. That's a problem. And the illustration here of the farmer not only tells us we have to wait, but there's so many things beyond a farmer's control. Let's just start with the weather. Kathy, my wife, Kathy's father was raised on a farm. He actually then went into the military and was an Air Force officer. But he was sixth generation farmer in his family. And Kathy used to joke with, with uh, her dad that he could easily be a professional meteorologist. You want to know who knows about the weather? Farmers. Farmers know a whole lot about the weather. You know who can control the weather? No farmer. God. He controls the weather. And so here's, here's my point. My point is, as we look at just being faithful, being ready for Jesus to return, we have to relinquish control. We often have to relinquish control of things we really want and we really desire and we hope and pray we can make happen, and yet often it doesn't. How much have you felt in control the last nine months? Not much. Not me. I'm kind of a, a goal setter very much. I've been that for a long time. You know how many of my goals were accomplished this year? Like almost none, you know, because I am so convinced and reconvinced and God has just put it right in my face that I control very little and you control very little. And that's not just true during COVID season. That's true all the time. You see, that's why being found faithful to Christ and faithful to his word and faithful to live the life he's called you to live is not based upon projections and is not based upon uh, detailed planning necessarily, though those things can have their place and be valuable. There is so much in our lives, my friends, we can't control. And you want to set yourself up for incredible frustration just think you can. It doesn't work. And it's terribly frustrating, as you and I know. I want you to, to see with me, too, that being patient and waiting is not passive. Let me say it this way. Patience is not passive. I was kind of taught that it was. You know, one of, the big, one of the big values in my home growing up was to have a really good work ethic and to work hard to make things happen. Um, my, my parents were incredible planners. Part of it was as I, that I was one of six kids. And my mom had lists for everything and schedules for everything. And yeah, she did. And so I understand that that can have value. But waiting, patience is not passive. It's not laziness to just wait. In fact, in, in this passage, as James is describing it, because in this passage, James says, be patient and what? Wait and what? Stand firm. Stand firm. Live out your faith every day with great seriousness, is his point. Stand firm. Do not be do not be uh, tossed to and fro, Ephesians chapter 4, by every wind of doctrine. 
Stand firm. That's not passive. That's not passive Christianity. To be deeply committed to truth and living truth out. That's his point. But we have to relinquish control. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, I think it was two Sundays ago, Kondo shared out of uh, James chapter 4, you know, about the merchants who were going to go to a city and make money and work for a year. And, you know, James just blows all that up. You don't even know about tomorrow. You don't even know if you will be alive tomorrow is the point. And then he goes on to say, um, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will. That's kind of a relinquish control of your life approach, if it's the Lord's will, is his point. Again, this is a tough one, maybe for you as well. Um, we can find way too much security in thinking that our plans will absolutely be fulfilled just as we want them to, and often they are not. Let's go on to verse 9. It goes on to say, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So he shifts from the coming of the Lord to the judge is standing at the door, and in the NIV, judge is capitalized. Why? Because it's referring to Jesus. The judge is standing at the door. So don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. So let me give you a second way to achieve our end game, along with relinquishing control. Second way is resist complaining. Resist complaining. Especially against other people. You know the words... Our words directed at others is a big deal to God. Our words that we say to other people is a really big deal to God. Some of you may remember back in chapter 1, we are told to be quick to hear, slow to what? Slow to speak, and slow to anger. In chapter 3 of, of James some of you remember those verses. I mean, James just kind of goes off about the tongue. No one can control the tongue. In fact, here's what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, with it, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. We can sing songs like How Great Thou Art in worship and pray and then say incredibly mean, unkind things even to the people who are closest to us. It ought not to be. You know, I wanted to ask you... Um, yeah, the last nine months has been really hard. It's been hard for me. It's been hard for probably all of us in so many ways. And I hope you've extended grace to people in your life. You know, maybe, maybe you have people in your life, family members or close friends, who've kind of been off their nice game. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, these people are usually positive and kind and patient and rarely are frustrated and they've been all those things all those negative things 
during this COVID season. I hope you've extended grace. It was, had to be at least 30 or 35 years ago. I was a, a young pastor at the time, and I was with an older pastor, one of my mentors, and he said this to me, and it really stuck, and it was super helpful for me, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. He said, Jeff, never forget, and it was under the guise of don't take everything personally. He says, never forget, hurting people hurt people. And I'm like, there you go. Hurting people hurt people. Isn't that profound? It really is. Because what I've seen that very often when people uh, lash out and are incredibly impatient and make horrendous decisions and other types of things like that, it's because they're living with great pain in their lives. They're hurting more than they're trying to hurt you or me. We need to extend grace. But let me give you the flip side of that. Do not take advantage of people who extend you a lot of grace. Be willing to go to them and say, you know, I know that I have not been kind to you. I know that I've been incredibly irritable. I've probably been almost impossible to live with if it's a family member. Please forgive me. You know what I've noticed? People can do things unintentionally, but it still really hurts. You know, somebody could accidentally stomp on your foot, not meaning to. <laughs> it still really hurts. It still hurts. And I think you and I, as much as we love for people to extend grace to us, and maybe we do that to others, maybe we need to go to some people that we have hurt during this season and not just make excuses, you know, I know I've not been myself, but we need to say, I need you to forgive me. And I need you to know that I'm going to really, really work hard at being so much more kind and loving to you. I don't want to take advantage of your deep love for me. I need you to forgive me. I've had to do that. I probably haven't done enough of it. Because I've had a lot of frustration, as some of you have, when life seems to have been pretty turned upside down and it's getting old. We all know that. Stand firm. Be patient. These are really, really important qualities. And resist complaining. James goes on in verse 10 to say this. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You talk about an end game. Job. <laughs> wow. Any of you uh, had the opportunity to read the book of Job during the pandemic? <clears throat> Some of you say, uh, I don't really go there. Uh, not really blessed by the book of Job. The book of Job is awesome, actually. This is where I want to put in a plug for doing a read through the Bible in a year kind of approach, which is what I've done for many years. Not that it's the only way, but it's been really awesome. And one of the main reasons why I do that is because it makes sure I'm always reading in the Old Testament. Because I am really, I tend to really gravitate to the New Testament. 
and it keeps me in the Old Testament, and that's a really good thing. So August was the month, for those of us who read through the Bible in a year, where they take it and divide it into 365 readings, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs, was the month of Job. Pretty awesome reading the book of Job during the pandemic. Um, You know, Job was amazing. He was a godly man. He was upright. He was blameless. It says all these wonderful things about him in the first couple verses of chapter 1. And Job was far from perfect, right? He complained. He grumbled. He should have gotten rid of his counselors, his, quote, friends. But he never cursed God. He cursed the day he was born, but he never cursed God. He persevered. That's why James uses him as a great example, is he persevered through horrendous trials and challenges in his life. And did you notice what God never did, even at the end, when he blessed Job, and Job just prospered more than ever? He never answered the why question. God never answered that to Job. How many of you, when you go through tough stuff, just say, God, tell me why? Tell me why. I want to know why. That is just my number one question almost always. And God says, nope, not telling you. I just want you to submit to me and follow me and worship me. What a great lesson for this season that we're in. Sometimes God says you don't need to know why. You just need to be obedient. You just need to submit. You just need to get on your face and worship me. And maybe, my friends, that's where you are today. Maybe, maybe this season has just unearthed a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and a lot of entitlement that is not being fulfilled. And you're ticked off. And you're incredibly frustrated. And I want to have empathy for that. I get it. I get it. I've had those moments. But at the end of the day, if our end game, like James, is to be faithful as we anticipate his return, then we just need to worship and obey our God. Let me keep moving. And we're going to look... uh, Actually, resolve to persevere. I think I said that, but if I didn't, that was my, my third one. Resolve to persevere is what uh, we need to do. We're going to go ahead and jump to verse 12. This is such a key verse in this passage. He goes on to say in verse 12, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Now, it's interesting that there are a lot of uh, commentators, a lot of scholars who say, does 12 fit with these other verses? Sometimes in Scripture, uh, you'll notice that there are, quote, standalone verses. Like, it's almost like the author was talking about something. He goes, oh, I need to mention this. And he'll, he'll write a verse. And that happens sometimes in Scripture. But the big question to me and and that I kind of studied was, does 12 fit 
with the rest of these first uh, verses from seven, from verse seven on? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. Faithful people live and speak the truth. Faithful people live and speak the truth. You know, I started to notice many years ago, hanging out with a lot of Christians, that sometimes we think it's better to be nice than honest. You know, we have a higher value. We call it being loving and lying. (laughs) We don't call it lying. We said, oh, I can't say that. That's hard. You won't like that. It'll make you upset. You will be mad at me if I tell you the truth. So I'd rather be nice. I'd rather be loving, I guess. To lie is loving. That doesn't make sense to me. But I can certainly be guilty of that as well. What James is talking about here is he's talking about oaths. Isn't that interesting? He says, when he says, do not swear, he doesn't mean don't use cuss words. That's good, too. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about using oaths. Here's what, um, here's what one, one person said about this. This was helpful to me. He says, there's a distinction, especially in the Jewish world, between oaths which were binding and oaths, oaths which were not binding. Any oath in which the name of God was directly used was considered to be definitely binding. But any oath in which direct mention of the name of God was not used was not binding. The result of this was that it became a matter of skill and sharp practice to find an oath which was not binding. This made a mockery of the whole practice of confirming anything by an oath. Okay, let me give you a couple modern day examples of how we do this. I swear on a stack of Bibles. How about this? I swear on my mother's grave. I'm going to give you my favorite. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Who in the world thought that up? I mean, that's insane. That's crazy. But what's the point of these kinds of oaths? It's to say, you have got to believe what I'm saying. Did you see what James said? He says, no, no. Say yes or no. Yes or no. You don't have to go into all this drama, all this hyperbole to try to convince me. Just say yes or no. One of the things, and and I think my wife would agree, that it's been funny for us to get invites to events, you know, electronic invites. And the RSP says, will you be attending? Yes, no, maybe. You know, when you're like the hostess or when you're the person who has to put the food together or whatever, maybe is not a good answer. It really isn't. It's not really helpful. You know what I'm saying? So there's a yes or a no that James is talking about here. But I think primarily what his point is, is he says, don't use these oaths to deceive. 
I think that's his idea. Refuse to deceive is my, is my fourth thought here. Do you think we need more honesty in our culture? <laughs> oh, man. Truth. You know, there's two types of truth. We'll start with this one. This is God's special revelation, theologians call it. God's truth. Every word given by God without error. But there's also honesty, being truthful. Why are we so afraid to be truthful sometimes? Why do we learn, even when we're extremely young, to figure out how to manipulate and deceive and get our way? And you can say, that's our sin nature. It is. But some of us haven't um, corrected it much. I think James is just so interested as he talks about his end game. He wants to be faithful. He wants to be a truth teller. He wants to be a truth teller. Have you, have you been told hard truth recently? Have there been people in your life? I'm not, I'm not saying people who are mad at you and saying nasty things. I mean people who speak the truth in love. You know, that's a verse in Scripture. Speak the, word, the truth because they love you deeply and they care about you deeply. That's part of being faithful. That's part of not being deceptive. You know, Jesus agreed. In fact, it seems like James took his thinking right from Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37 say this, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's Satan, who's called the father of lies. Wow. That's potent. Be truthful. Speak truth. Do it graciously. Do it lovingly. Speak truth. That's his point. Okay, well, I'm going to wrap up here. Some of you know that typically this Sunday after Thanksgiving, we have people share testimonies. We have the roving mic, but this year it would be the roving COVID mic. I think we've been really concerned about that. So, unfortunately, we're not going to really take the time we have. It would be so amazing to hear some of you share things God has done this year. Because we all have hard stories we could share, but some of us have incredible stories we could share about God's blessing, about how people loved us so well and served us so well, about how God intervened in our lives during this really difficult season in ways that could only have been him. And I know some of you have stories like that. But here's what I want to give you. There's a I don't know, I guess I'd call it a complete the sentence phrase. It's up there on the screen. And I, the way I'd like you to use this is maybe 
maybe driving home, maybe at lunch, you can give some thought to this. Even though 2020 has been really difficult, God has shown me I can be faithful until Jesus returns because. And I guess what I want you to do is maybe identify if there are areas in your life that you've not been faithful you know, maybe you're one of those people that have made commitments multiple times to, to have a daily quiet time, a, a time in the word, a time of prayer, a time to just be alone with Jesus. That's such an incredibly important good habit. Maybe some of you um, aren't, haven't been faithful in other areas of your life and other relationships with your life. Whatever that looks like, Faithful means to just be obedient to Jesus. That's what I mean. But I, I hope, and we're going to just we're going to bow our heads. Why don't you go ahead and do that with me? And just really kind of ponder that thought. Even though 2020 has been really difficult, God has shown me I can be faithful until Jesus comes. Not necessarily to unearth bad stuff as much as saying, Lord, I can really do better. I can be more committed. I can be more obedient in this area. Let's just take a moment, kind of a quiet moment. You talk to the Lord in your, in your own head and heart. Maybe he's bringing an area, surfacing an area that you can talk to him about. Let's do that. Father, we want to walk in step with you. We want to live a life of obedience, a life of complete submission to you. Lord, we confess areas in our lives where we have not been faithful, where we have not chosen the godly choice. Forgive us. And Lord, it has been a really hard season So much of 2020 has not been at all what we anticipated. And you are still on your throne. You're the God of the universe. You're the sovereign Lord of all. We want to be faithful to you. So help us. As we finish this year, as we anticipate 2021, knowing that it will have blessings and challenges. And may our, our end game be to just be faithful, expectant of that day that we see our Savior. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that we can be part of a family as we struggle together, as we try to grow together, as we blow it, but as we confess, as we have people in our lives who love us, just love us. We're so grateful for that. And most of all, we're grateful for your love and that you've promised never to leave or forsake us. We cling to that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.